Hi, I'm Jeff Watts, and I wanted to welcome you to the Renaissance Podcast. We are so excited that you have chosen to listen and join with us as we strive to reach the heart of our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And we know that God is doing amazing things in our community, and I am blown away at how many people have told me that Renaissance has provided a place for them to rediscover Jesus, it's given them a caring church family to be a part of, and has helped to transform their lives. If you're one of the men and women who have been encouraged, helped, and strengthened because of what's happening here at Renaissance, then I'd like to ask you to become an investor in what God is doing in our city. And here's one way that you can do that. Go to rendicatororg backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them. Enjoy the podcast and thank you so much for being a part of this community. Hey everyone, Jeff here. I wanted to let you know that in two weeks we're beginning a new teaching series called Count Me In. In this series, we're going to discuss the big vision that we believe God has given us as a church and how we can come together to reach our city with the truth and love of Jesus. And since I believe this is going to be a defining moment in our church, I wanted to invite everyone to join me in prayer as we seek God to give us the big faith that we need to follow his big vision. On three consecutive Tuesday evenings at 6.30, beginning August 22nd, August 29th, and September 5th, we want to come together as a church here in the main room and pray together. We're going to seek God to give us that faith we need to follow his big vision. So we've put together these little reminder cards for you. So please take one of these on your way out and consider joining us as we begin to pray beginning August 22nd. Good morning. (laughs) Welcome to Renaissance. We're so glad you're here. My name is Joe, and I'm one of the leaders here, and we're continuing our study in the book of Acts this week. Each week, we open up our Bible at this time and study it together, and we've been in the book of Acts since February of 2016. That's kind of impressive. I thought somebody would be a little more impressed by that. Well, we're going to be finishing the book by the end of this year, and and it's been really cool to go through the stories that are in this book week by week, seeing it played out in kind of an episodic manner. And, and what we've seen the past several weeks is there's been somewhat of the same kind of things going on each time. It's, it's kind of the same story repeating itself over and over and over again. I used to be a big fan of The Walking Dead. Anyone? It's okay. We can admit that here. It's fine. And I say I used to be a fan of The Walking Dead because I stopped watching it three episodes into this past season because it seemed to me like the story was becoming the same one over and over and over again. People run from zombies. Good people run away from zombies. Bad people try to hurt the good people. The end. (laughs) That's it. They may have saved the world by now. I don't even know what's going on. Did that happen? Did they save the world? No, of course not. Let me guess. There's a really bad guy with really bad people who's trying to hurt really good people, right? It's the same story over and over again. And that's kind of what we see a little bit here in the book of Acts. But this should come as no surprise to us that this story is being repeated over and over again. That that the apostle Paul is in peril. Oh no, I bet he's arrested again. Guess what he is? This passage we're studying today, he's been arrested and he's standing before a ruler to try and give an account as to why he's been arrested and why so many people harm him. But it shouldn't surprise us. That this is going on because he promised some friends of his that this would happen. 
All the way in Acts chapter 20, several weeks ago, we learned that as he's spending time with some friends before he left them, through tears in his eyes, he says, everywhere I go, the Holy Spirit reminds me that I'm about to encounter affliction and tribulation and trouble. In chapter 14, he we learned that he went around and encouraged churches by telling them it's through much tribulation, it's through much affliction, it's through much trouble that we enter God's kingdom. Now, that's not to say that our endurance and perseverance through trouble grants us entry into heaven. Jesus has already done that for us. His perseverance through suffering on the cross, has given us a way into heaven. Jesus is already taking care of that for us. What it means is that because we're followers of Jesus, because we love Jesus, because we want to know and understand God's ways in this world, we often find ourselves opposed to some of the ways in the world. Not because we're opposed to the people in the world, but because God doesn't think like we think. God's ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And there's a way in the world and an order of life that would say, make your own decisions, make your own choices, do your own thing without considering what the creator of the universe would want for that. And because we want to follow the ways of the creator of the universe, we find ourselves doing things that are different from that which is in the world. Now, it's never really been a challenge for me to be different. I'm kind of a different person. Someone's giggling because you might say I'm a little bit odd, but I find myself at times being different from others without even trying. For example, last Monday we had a staff meeting here at the church, and Stacy, Pastor Jeff's wife, said, Joe, why don't you go pick up some pizza for lunch and grab a couple two liters of soda? And we'll bring it back and we'll eat the pizza and have some soda for lunch over our staff meeting. And I said, Great. So I get the pizza and I go and I get a two liter of Sprite. Can't go wrong with Sprite. Get a two liter of Diet Coke. Can't go wrong with Diet Coke. Or so I thought. (laughs) I get back to the office and I'm suddenly the soda pop pariah because I've got a bottle of Diet Coke and I'm the only one who wants to drink Diet Coke. Can you believe that? No one else in the room wants Diet Coke and everybody's like, why would you choose Diet Coke, Joe? And I'm like, I don't know. Sometimes I just do things that are different from what others (laughs) would want. And that was accidental. Sometimes I do things different on purpose. Last week, last Friday, I went out of town, went to another city with some of my very best friends in the world. We've known one another for over 15 years. We're all in our 30s now. There was over 90 years of life experience on this trip. And they have families. One of them lives in Indiana. And so we only ever get together once or twice a year. We rarely get to see one another and hang out as a squad again. And so this time we found out that my friend Ryan was coming into town and I call my friend Josh and I say, here's what we should do. We should just leave Decatur. We should leave our home and go spend 24 hours together in another city. We'll get a hotel room. We'll eat at a nice restaurant and we'll just live like the good old days. And they were like, bet that's going to be awesome. So we left town and we check into this restaurant, and we decide to relax a little bit after driving. We check into the hotel. We decide to relax after driving. We didn't check into the restaurant, we, <laughs> though I could sleep there and wake up for the next meal later. But we checked into the hotel, and 
we take a little bit of rest there before we go over to the restaurant and we get there and we eat a meal and it was great and we left and they're like, what are we going to do now? We didn't really have a plan. We knew there was a lot of happening things going on in the downtown area of this city. So we're like, well, I don't know. There's a lot to do next, but what we should do now is go back to the hotel and take a nap. <laughs> we're all in our 30s. Remember. So we go back to that hotel room and take a nap and they're like, okay, let's Let's go and walk around the downtown area. There's so much to do. And there were several bands and musicians playing in different parts. And we walk around the block, the downtown area, several times and see all the people out who are out for no other reason than it's Friday night. And it was awesome. They were just having a great time. And we wanted to be a part of that. But after about 45 minutes or so, I'm starting to get tired again. And my buddies, who, mind you, have left their families. Like, this is one of the only times they can just get away and have guys' time. And they're like, Joe, let's, let's go out. We want to have a couple drinks, and we want to we have a good time uh, in the city tonight. And I'm like, man, you know what, you guys? I... And it's like 7.30 at this point. <laughs> I'm like, guys, I would much rather, like, go back to the hotel room and watch wrestling. Like, is that... Is that okay? And, and because they'd left their families and, and came on this trip and they wanted to spend some good time together, can you guess what we wound up doing? We went to the hotel and watched wrestling because <laughs> mama didn't raise no wimp, all right? Sometimes, sometimes I just do what I want to do. And sometimes that's a problem. It was a little bit of a problem on our trip that Joe didn't want to do the fun things that the other guys wanted to do. And this is not a new problem for me, and it's not a new problem for the world. And I would guess that for many of you in the room, it's not a new problem for you either. We'll read in the passage today that we're studying about a man who exhibited this same problem, who chose to live life according to his own ways, who wanted his own thing and wanted to make his own choices all the time without regarding what God might want for him. And it's this motivation to live by your own desires and do your own things that causes destructive patterns in your life, destructive patterns in relationship. We see destructive patterns in our nation right now because of people who think they are better than others marching to proclaim their supremacy over others because of that idea that they can do whatever they want. And the gospel, the truth and message of who Jesus is, that he came to this earth and died for our sins, pushes all of that out of the way. We don't get our own way. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is in control. And if we would all learn and understand that, that we should submit ourselves to Jesus's desires for us, we would find that there would never be any strife because that's not who he is. Let's go ahead and get into the passage. It's Acts chapter 24, verses 22 through 27. You can turn there in your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible with you, underneath the seat around you is a hardback Bible with a black cover. You can turn to page 934 in that Bible. We'll also put the words up on the screens for you. Let's go ahead and read together. Acts chapter 24, verse 22. It says, but Felix... Quick background, Paul is standing before this Roman governor whose name is Felix. And Felix has called him to him because Felix wants to know, 
Paul, why do all of the Jewish authorities want to kill you? They hate the things that you teach about this man named Jesus. So would you, would you help me to understand what they have against you? And this Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, this means that he had some information about Christianity at this point. He had, he had learned something about following Jesus. It, it's believed that the first Christians called themselves followers of the way because Jesus referred to himself as the way to the Father, the way to God. It says he had a rather accurate knowledge of the way and he put them off saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. I'm going to appeal to a higher power to come down here and help us decide together what we're going to do with you, Paul. Verse 23, then he gave orders to the centurion that he, that he Paul, should be kept in custody but have some liberty. It's kind of a, a house arrest. And as a Roman citizen, Paul would have been afforded this freedom to have been chained to a Roman soldier, but still allowed to traverse the area of the prison compound. He wasn't stuck in a room all day to himself, and he was given some liberty while he was in prison, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. He's got a, a pretty okay gig as far as a prisoner goes. He can have friends come and visit him and bring him anything that he needs. Verse 24, after some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, sounds like a real charming lady, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul, and he heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, Go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you. At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul. He wanted Paul to bribe him. So he sent for him often and conversed with him. And when two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus. Another awesome name. And desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. Before we go any further, let's do what we always do at this time and pray together and ask that the Holy Spirit would help us understand uh, the scriptures better today. Would you pray with me? Lord, we, we are so thankful for the Bible. We're thankful that, that we have the privilege of being able to come and, and study it together publicly, that we can come and learn truth about who you are, truth about who Jesus is. And I pray that you would show us more of who he is today through what we study about your son. Lord, we love you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. So this Felix, whose name means happy, by the way, if you're going to stand before a judge, it would, you might feel a little bit better knowing his name is happy, but happiness did not really portray Felix's life. Historians tell us that he was kind of a, kind of a bad guy. He was a very unsavory character whose, whose reign was marked by anarchy in the nation. There was a lot of overindulgence. He seemed to not care so much about attending to the needs of the people that he served, but cared more about attending to his own desires. In fact, his wife, Drusilla, who sounds a lot like a German maid, Drusilla, he took from another man. Historians tell us that he viewed her as the wife of another man, and he said, she's kind of hot, which I think is what the historian said. She was a hot woman. And he decided to take this Drusilla from the other man and brought him back to his own palace. And now trophy wife Drusilla is in the palace, and 
He has taken her from another man. He's ruling his nation, thinking about only the things that he wants. And Paul knows all of these things about Felix. None of this happened in secret. This was all public. It was all known information. It was known that Felix is a bad guy. And when Paul stands before him, he chooses to take the opportunity and share the gospel with him in a specific way. He was aware of this type of person because Paul was fully aware of what the Old Testament had to say. And there's a story in the Old Testament about a king, a king of the nation Israel whose name was David. And he was walking along his roof one day, one evening, and he saw a woman bathing across the way. And he called for her, and it turned out that this woman who was bathing happened to be the wife of another man, a man named Uriah, who was very loyal to David. Well, when he found this out, this didn't stop him. He brought her into his palace anyway. Some things happened, and now Bathsheba, the woman, is going to have a baby. And so now David has an issue. This mistress he has is pregnant with his child while she's married to another man who happens to be off at war. Long story short, he has this man killed. This man who was loyal to him because he could not control his own desires. And he chose to allow that to destroy his kingdom. And Paul knows this type of person that Felix is because he knows the type of person David was from reading in the Old Testament. And we don't even have to know some of the stories in the Old Testament to know people who live their lives according to their own desires who take no thought as to what the next consequence might be, who take no thought as to what God might consider about it. We don't have to look very far to find people like that. And sometimes all we have to do is look within to find someone who lives life according to their own desires. And because Paul knows that this is who Felix is, he tailors his message of the gospel of Jesus to him in a very specific way. And it's very different from what we normally see Paul doing. Normally, when he would go to a place and tell others about Jesus, he would open up the Old Testament and he would begin to show them that all of these promises about a king who would be coming to save the world, all of those promises are actually about Jesus. Well, he doesn't do that. In fact, the name of Jesus isn't even mentioned here. It just says that when he stands before Felix, he reasons with him about righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment. And I would argue that within that message of righteousness, self-control, and the coming judgment, that Paul was telling Felix all about Jesus. Now, we often think of righteousness as something that we do, something that uh, we have in the way that we behave. We think about righteousness as having righteous acts. But we know from another one of Paul's letters, we call it the book of Romans, he said that there is none righteous. In fact, righteousness has nothing to do with our acts. It has everything to do with how we appear before God. Righteousness isn't right behavior It's right standing with God. So he's probably not standing before Felix and saying, Felix, you need to become more righteous. You need to change your behavior and be a righteous man. He's probably standing before Felix and saying, Felix, no one is righteous. We're all sinful. We're all sinful because our great, 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 
many times over, grandfather Adam chose to disobey God. And because he disobeyed God, we call that disobedience sin. We now bring this sin into the world with us when we're born. And so we start the game unrighteous because of our sin. It's why we behave unrighteously. Our unrighteous behavior doesn't make us unrighteous. The fact that we are already unrighteous causes our unrighteous behavior. And he's probably telling Felix, Felix, no one is righteous. You can't condition yourself to become more righteous. You can change your behavior. You can say, I'm not going to make the bad choice that I made yesterday. I'm not going to do it again tomorrow. And then tomorrow, you can say the same thing after you screwed up today. We can't condition ourselves into righteousness. But thankfully, there is a righteous one, Jesus who God sent to this world because God in his great mercy and immense love for us knew that we have no power on our own to become righteous like him. So he sends his son Jesus to the earth who lived a perfectly righteous life, who never sinned, who never fell short of God's standard. And because of this, he laid down his life as a sacrifice for our sins when he was murdered on a Roman cross. The theologian Martin Luther calls this the great exchange. Jesus exchanged his righteousness for our unrighteousness. He took our unrighteousness upon himself and allowed himself to be murdered on the cross. So it's as though our unrighteousness was put to death. And in that same transaction, he gave us his righteousness whether our behavior lines up with it or not. We must believe in him, and it's as though we're as righteous as Jesus is. This is the beauty of the gospel, that it has nothing to do with us except that we believe that this is who Jesus is. And so as Paul is standing before Felix, I imagine he's making that appeal. Felix, none of us are righteous I'm just like you, but I have a clear conscience because of my faith in Jesus. And he goes on to reason with him about self-control. Felix, you realize that, that you're in the state that you're in. You, you see your unrighteousness because you lack self-control. You lack the ability to look into the future and forecast the consequences of your choices. You lack the ability to understand that if I make this bad decision now, bad things will come from it. Psychologists believe that we all have a level of self-control within us. They, they think it originates in the prefrontal cortex, which is like somewhere up here. I don't know how they know that. They say they do. I'll trust them. They're smarter than me. But psychologists believe that we all have a certain degree of self-control. And that it's a resource much like energy. But because it's a resource much like energy, it's limited. And we see this played out maybe every morning. When my alarm went off this morning, I was able to control myself and crawl out of bed even though I didn't want to. Because I used the self-control that is inherent in my brain that helps me make good decisions. But because self-control is a limited resource and I'm going to be tired by lunchtime, I'm not going to be able to control myself from licking the gravy off of my plate. 
Because self-control is a limited resource. It will deplete at some point, about 1215. And then it will be restored after I've licked the gravy off of the plate. Now, our self-control, though it is limited, we still find that we can make certain decisions on our own, but we always come to a point where that quits. We always come to a place where we can no longer continue making those decisions. There's a man named Dr. Walter Mischel who did an experiment uh, they call it the marshmallow test. Maybe you've heard of this, where he, he took four-year-olds and placed them in a room by themselves, and he gave them a marshmallow, and he said, if you wait 15 minutes without eating this marshmallow, you'll get another marshmallow. But if you eat this marshmallow before the 15 minutes is up, you don't get another marshmallow, only one marshmallow for you. And what he found is that some of the children ate the marshmallow right away. Probably thinking, what would I do right now if I had that choice in front of me? I know what I would probably do. I'd probably eat the marshmallow because I'm like, can we just get on to the next thing? I don't want to wait 15 minutes for another one. Can I have a pretzel now maybe? <laughs> we found that some of them ate the marshmallow right away, and some of them actually waited the 15 minutes, and they were then given two marshmallows. Really cool thing about the story is that 40 years later, he followed up with many of these subjects in that experiment. And he found that the children who delayed their gratification, the ones who exhibited self-control, the ones who chose to wait the 15 minutes and receive the second marshmallow, as adults were more successful and healthy in life. What his experiment found is that a lack of self-control can be damaging to us as humans. This is another example of how the Bible or science, verifies what we learn and read in the Bible. The book of Proverbs tells us that a man without self-control is like a city that's been broken into and left without its walls. Now, what does that mean? It sounds pretty cool, but what does it mean? In that day and age, a city that had no walls was susceptible to invasion from enemy forces. It was susceptible to being conquered. It was susceptible to having all of its goods taken and ransacked from it. Some of the people even taken from the city if it had no walls to protect it. And the Bible tells us that self-control is a lot like walls in our life to keep enemy forces from taking things from us. And if we all look within, most of us would discover that our greatest enemy is ourself. And when we can't control ourselves, terrible things can happen. I remember one moment in my own life where anger has always been an issue for me. And there have been times where I've flown off the handle and, and afterwards felt incredible shame and remorse for what I did. And I'm driving in a car one day with a passenger who was just being stupid and... and they were making me really angry, and I wasn't able to control myself. So instead of hitting the person next to me, which I wanted to do, I punched the windshield because that's the next best thing while you're driving and spiderwebbed the windshield as I punched it while I'm driving. So in a moment, I felt, wow, this is pretty awesome. 
and then instant shame and remorse and guilt and sadness and fear. Am I losing my mind? Why would I do that? How could that happen? But my lack of self-control brought me to this place where I thought I was losing everything. I still call that the worst night of my life. Many of us find that we lack the ability in many situations to control our temper, to control our addictions, to control our appetites for certain things, and we don't know how to say no. The hope for us, because our self-control is a limited resource, the hope for us lies in the fact that Jesus has given us his Holy Spirit, that who the Apostle Paul, when writing to another group of Christians, we call this letter the book of Galatians, when writing to them, he tells them that the Holy Spirit has certain characteristics. He calls them fruits. And these characteristics, one of them is self-control. And those of us who believe in Jesus have the Holy Spirit within us. And because the Holy Spirit is within us and he has unlimited potential for self-control, we too may have that unlimited potential for self-control. Now, because we lack unlimited self-control on our own, and because we know it comes from somewhere else, the Holy Spirit, and not from within us, we can easily find ourselves excusing our choices. I can easily make excuses for myself. Well, of course I punched the windshield. I'm unrighteous. I'm a sinful person. I don't have unlimited self-control. Of course I did that. I need Jesus to help me. But the beauty of the gospel is not only does Jesus take care of all of our unrighteousness, but he also desires to help us behave righteously as well. And so the fact that we are unrighteous and that we don't have self-control on our own does not excuse us from desiring to make the right choice because now we have the power to do so through the Holy Spirit who lives within us. So the next time we're confronted with the idea that I, I can't control myself, remember who lives inside of you, the Holy Spirit, who can help you do the right thing. He can help me do the right thing. And I believe this is what Paul is giving to Felix. Felix, if, if, you, if you want to rule this nation correctly, if you want your life to go well, Submit yourself to Jesus, the one who will make you righteous and help you behave righteously. It goes on after this. We learn that Felix was alarmed and said, uh, uh, get away from me for right now. I'll call you at a better opportunity. I I need some time to think about this. I I need some time to, to process all the things that you've just shared with me, Paul. So why don't you come back? At another time, Paul begins to tell him about this thing called the coming judgment. That Though Felix asked for more opportunities to hear the gospel, and we learned that since he was there two years, he, he got those opportunities to hear the gospel over and over and over again. He got many second chances if you will. We too get many second chances. We can look back at our life of all the the terrible decisions we've made and see how God has given us new chances each time. But the Bible tells us in the book of Hebrews that 
there is coming a day where we no longer will have a chance. It is appointed to man to die. And after this comes the judgment. This isn't Paul trying to use aversive stimuli against Felix in hopes that he will be afraid of the judgment and then change his behavior. It's the reality that we will all face this one day. And if we attempt to stand before God with our own unrighteousness or, or try to prop ourselves up with our own merits, we will find that that will fail. Now, there's an idea that the fact that God judges humanity is cruel and unloving, but I would argue that his judgment is completely loving. Don't we love it when justice is served? Don't we love it when we see someone has been harmed and cruel things have been done to them that they stand before a judge and the judge passes a just sentence upon them? Don't we hate it when we hear that people who've done terrible things go scot-free? We love judgment, and shall not the judge of all the earth be given credit when he passes judgment on something? His judgment is loving. But when we stand before him, if we have Jesus by our side, he will judge us according to Jesus' merits. If we stand before him, having had faith in Christ, none of the things we've done in life will matter because they'll have disappeared behind Jesus. As he's standing before Felix, he encourages him, I believe. Felix, you'll face judgment one day just like all of the world will. And will Jesus be standing with you at this time? Now, he's with Felix for two years. And he spends the next two years coming back to him. Felix called him back over and over and over again. And he wanted to maybe hear a little more about Paul. We know that he was hoping that Paul would bribe him so he would be set free. But if you consider for a moment that if Paul had been annoying with the way he was sharing the gospel, Felix would not have heard him over and over and over again. Some of us need to learn how to not be so annoying when we tell other people about Jesus. And some of us need to learn to not be discouraged Here's Paul, the greatest theologian besides Jesus in all of history, and he can't get this man, Felix, to believe in Jesus. The reality is that there will be people we encounter that may not hear what we have to say about Jesus, and we're not alone in that. The same thing happened to the Apostle Paul. Something else I see in this, that Paul stayed there for two years, we see that that he was delayed from going to where he believed God wanted him to go, to Rome, to share the gospel in Rome. It was a desire he had in his heart. And the fact that he's trapped here for two years delays that from happening. But I can't help but see God being a part of that. Because even though Felix was an unrighteous and surly man, God loved him so much that he kept Apostle Paul there for two years so that Felix could continue to hear the gospel. God's love for unrighteous people is so immense we will never comprehend it. 
his love for people that others would look at and say, I want nothing to do with you. You're a bad guy. You're a bad girl. His love for people is so amazing. God wants them all. And so he keeps Paul in front of Felix for two years. And isn't that why we're here as well? Because God loves people. And he's placed us here in downtown Decatur so that people can come in and feel comfortable and hear about Jesus. There was a group of people who met in Jeff's living room six, seven years ago and believed that if they would be faithful to that idea that God wants to tell people about his son Jesus and that if they would work hard and make a comfortable space for them, people would come. And we've seen that happen. And now we're getting ready to step into a new period of Renaissance's history. We're kind of like the living room group now compared to what's coming ahead of us. And when Pastor Jeff is asking us to come together and pray, starting on the 22nd for the following weeks, it should make us excited if we're able to want to come and be a part of that. Because we want to take part in what Jesus wants to do for people who feel unloved, for people who know they're unrighteous, for people who are fearful of what's coming to them because of their actions. And if they would only come in, they could hear about a Jesus, the righteous one, who can save them. I have been in churches all of my life, and uh, most of the time, whenever... Uh, someone says we should have a prayer meeting this week, this is what will happen. The room may be filled with 140 people. That's not difficult to make that happen. But if you ask people to come back later in the week and pray, maybe 14 will show up. Something about Renaissance is that it's in our DNA that we're just already a little different. We're a little strange compared to to the way some things go. So wouldn't it make sense that even though it's not popular to gather together and pray, because we're already different, we would do the different thing and gather together and pray. Won't it be awesome when we have a full room on the 22nd and the 29th and the 5th? I want to encourage us all. The band is going to come back up and and they're going to play a few more songs. And consider your schedule on those nights, if you can make it and come and pray and be part of this quote-unquote living room group before more people are allowed to come in, before, before more people like Felix, before more people like Joe Oval, before more people like you are able to come in and be a part of this and hear the truth and love of Jesus, would you consider coming to pray with us so that we can ask for God's Holy Spirit to help us as we believe we're following what he wants to do in these next phases. Will you pray with me now? Lord, we are so thankful for your son Jesus. We're so thankful that he loves us so much. He loves us in spite of our unrighteousness. We're so thankful that you have chosen to make us righteous. Lord, I pray for those who could be here 
right now to hear about the righteous one, Jesus, if only there were more space in the room. Lord, I pray that that you would help us to come together as people who believe that Jesus is worth telling others about and that people are worth hearing about him. Lord, help us to lock arms together and with you as we follow you into that. Help us to be like Paul and not be weary, to not give up in the moments where we think we're making no headway, but to continue moving forward and doing what you want us to do. Lord, we are so thankful for that. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Together we can reach the heart of Decatur. And if you'd like to be a part of that, go to rendicator.org backslash give and make a commitment to be a part of showing the people of the city of Decatur the truth of Jesus and how much he loves them.